Welcome to the Seven Figure Fundraising Podcast, the podcast where we discuss specific tactics and strategies to grow your nonprofit. I'm your host, Trevor Bragdon. Today's guest is Roy Leonardson. Roy is the president of Strategic Advocacy, and he has worked as a political strategist, operative, and manager of more than 100 campaigns from gubernatorial, congressional, to state legislative races. Roy has worked with some of the nation's largest companies and organizations, and his company, Strategic Advocacy, have built and accomplished record grassroots advocacy and political campaigns. His extensive political experience made him a specialist in crafting simple, clear messaging and memorable sound bites. Over the last three years, Roy has used those skills to coach hundreds of nonprofit leaders on crafting their donor pitch. Welcome to the show, Roy. Thank you, Trevor. It's good to be here. So one of the things I've enjoyed about working with you is your skill at helping people really clarify their message, both on political candidates earlier in your career and legislators, but then now as we've worked together with the seven-figure fundraising workshops. And you've been a pitch coach at all of our seven-figure fundraising workshops, and you've really helped a lot of people clarify and simplify their message. Can you tell us just a little bit about your background and how you developed this skill of clarifying someone's message? Yeah, sure. I hate to admit it, but it really came about as a way to survive a sheer torturous environment. I sat in the committee hearing rooms for about 10 years. I was a nonpartisan analyst, and I sat there and listened to all of the testimony of members from all parties and lobbyists and lots of folks coming in the room. And after 10 years of hearing thousands of hours of testimony, I really came to understand that there's certain ways that you prevent information that are incredibly effective. Now, sadly, 95% of that was absolute torture. But honestly, the 5% was like hearing a world-class violinist come in the room every time it happened. So that was step one. Step two, as after I left working directly for the legislature and went onto the campaign trail, it was the exact same thing. I would stand in the back of the room And I would look at the faces or the backs of people's heads going up and down or actually slumped down. And I realized the correlation to the message being delivered in the style and to the enthusiasm and the getting to amen in the audience, the shaking of the head, were pretty easy to figure out. And so a good 20 years of watching, I began to develop this sixth sense, if you will, of this works, this doesn't. It was pretty much that simple. That's great. And that must have been torturous, not being able to speak and help them improve. Oh, my gosh. You know me, obviously. It was very difficult. But I will say it has trained me in the pitch coaching world. I'm quite surprisingly patient given my personality because I understand it's a learning process. And most of the folks that sit down using your formula get to pretty good very quickly. So for me, it's almost exciting. I get to see great results in 48 hours. So for that much, I can be patient. Yeah, and that's a great point and good segue into what we want to talk about today, which is how do you design a pitch and how do you write your first pitch when you've never done a pitch before? Or if you have done a pitch, how do you write a new pitch? And we've developed a pretty clear system for going through and quickly iterating doing a first draft, a second draft, and then a third draft, and really having a polished pitch in just a few hours of effort. Roy, let's talk a little bit about that. And to start, I just want to talk first about one of the principles we've found with creating a great pitch is not trying to get it to be perfect on the first try. None of us are perfect on the first try. Well, maybe you, Roy, but in reality, like it's really hard to get it right the first time. So what we try to do is this whole principle of when you give feedback is the first time you give feedback, you want something to be about at 30% done. Like, so it's still a pretty rough draft. And then the second time you get some feedback, you want it to be around that 60% done mark. And then for the third round of feedback, you want it more to be like at the 90%. So it's 30, 60, 90. And, you know, Trevor, just let me interrupt. The beauty of this formula is to get to that 30, you can do that in an hour. You really can. And it's funny, and I'm sure this has been your observation. I'll work with someone who had one hour after seeing how to get to that 30%. And I'll work with someone who had five hours and there's no difference. You know what I mean? I'm very, it doesn't matter. It's really, 
getting that first one out right off the top of your head and get going, get to 30 and don't overthink the 30. That's probably the most important thing that I could say is get to 30 right away. Don't overthink this 30%. Right. That's a great point. So how do we get them to 30? What's the process that you recommend when people are starting to write their pitch? For me, it's you want to basically write it down, right? That's rule number one here is I think there's a lot of folks who think they can slam down some bullets, write a few notes to themselves. What I like about particularly the structure that you've employed is there's almost this formula, right? You can talk more about the, your specific formula, but folks who work with you have a sheet in front of them that lays out for them all the various pieces because you've broken out the different components, but it is telling the story. When you start writing these little bit of notes and filling out this form, the next thing you know, you're at 30% within an hour every time. Right. And the structure we talk about and what you alluded to is starting with a template. And one of the templates that we use in the workshop is this template for existing organizations called look back, look down, look forward. And basically what you're trying to do with your whole pitch, if you think of it like a story arc is, and look back, you're saying thanking the donor for how great it is that they've partnered with you for all these years. You might thank them for how much they've given over the lifetime of a donation. And then you say, when we first started here, and tell this like origin story about your organization. That's like the look back part. And then in the middle section, it's look down. And that's what are we working on today? So this talks about the programs you're working on, the things you're doing. And then you transition. And this is the bulk of your pitch, which is the look forward. Like, why do you need the money? Why do you need the donation? You talk about the things you're planning to do in the next year, two years, whatever makes sense with your nonprofit. And just having that sort of rough structure and that what you can do is just start by outlining your pitch based on those three broad parameters. So you start with look back, thanking them, look down, what are you working on today? And then look forward. Here's what we're the big vision we have for the next couple of years. And then you close. And you just said about sort of thanking people for the past. You know, those three-part formula, another way to look at it is you're basically, you're going to take a trip down memory lane, then you're going to get them to right now with your boots on the ground, what's happening, and then you're going to make them understand your boots on the ground right now, paint this future. That's the future you have to look forward to here. So it really is, I think it's a perfect formula because it forces you to begin to get something out in an organized fashion. And then all the other pieces begin to fall together because you get down memory lane, here's what I'm doing this morning, and here's what next year looks like. And that's how you begin to build a good pitch. The good thing about it too is it follows the path of how you developed, how you built the organization, what you're doing. It's much easier to remember it when you follow that structure as well. Yeah, I also think that when you take a minute, and again, the history part is not long, but it reminds people, it gives them a sense of, oh yeah, hey, this is good. This is this is great what they've already done. And it sort of reminds people of the importance of being a partner, which is a whole nother level of conversation, but it gives people that sense of, oh, that's right. These guys do good things. So I think it's important. Right. And even at that beginning, when you're thanking them for how much they've given, I had a nonprofit, my wife and I support did this to us recently where she'd gone through our training and she pitched me on our renewal gift. And she said, thank you. And she gave the number total we'd given. And it was surprising because I hadn't totaled it up and I didn't realize it was that level, but it just reminds you of how much you've supported them, how much you're already bought into the whole mission of the organization. And it is fun, like you said, to hear the origin story because you forget. Like I had forgotten this woman had founded it when she was, I think, 19 or 20 originally. I'd forgotten those details. So hearing it again, even though I'd heard it a year before, is really effective. And you know what's fascinating? Hopefully the folks that are, are listening to this are givers as well. I really do think it's important to be a giver at some level to some organization because it really helps you understand. My wife and I give to about five major organizations. I have never, ever been reminded of what I've given in total, not once. Really? Wow. Which is amazing, right? It'd be very simple. And some of them have been thousands and thousands of dollars. It does two things. One, it creates that whole partnership, right? It's a partnership. I'm invested in you. You're invested in me. We're partners here together. We're building this together. So the whole look back and that structure and reminding people is absolutely critical. So what about the look down? Here's what we're working on today. What are some things you like to see in pitches 
that when they're talking about the work that's going on today inside their organization? I think the the most important thing, because we're really now just in the 30% mode still, right? We're looking at this first iteration is jot down a couple of really interesting things you're working on. Don't overcomplicate it. Say, you know, we're doing this, we're doing this. Generally speaking, at the 30% level, it's fairly dry, fairly boring, and not overly interesting. That's been my thing. Now, it turns out none of those things are true once I actually talk to them about what they're doing. You, like I, have had these conversations the pitch is the 30% pitch, really. You don't even sure what they do. And then after, during the feedback, they take the time to explain it. Like, for example, I had one the other day. It was the first piece of legislation that had passed anywhere in the country and had literally taken off like wildfire and passed in 25 states as a result of their specific bill. But she never mentioned that in her pitch on the 30% level. Now, you can be darn sure it appeared in the next iteration. So, But the point is... Be comfortable just getting it out, accept the dryness of it. Ask yourself a question. What are the really important things that we're doing? I think the other thing is interesting, new or different, right? Important or interesting. Maybe it's not quite fleshed out yet, but you want to get it mentioned. Or if there's something unique or different, right? So interesting, important, unique. Think of some of those things in your back of your mind and just sketch it out. I don't need to know how many staff you have, how much you've grown, what your office size is. A lot of times folks will walk in and feel like they need to give me the details of staffing and things and sort of this internal stuff. Ultimately, we're going for emotion and connection. I'm not really going to be connected to you if I found out you got assistant development of email marketing services to build your portfolio, you know, that kind of lingo. So I would avoid internal office and personnel and all of that stuff. Just generally, I would. Focus on outcomes, yeah, what the mission focus is, on the what big, they're trying so the to in, Things that you can actually attach emotional connection to later on. Yeah. And I think to your point, their story you just told, one thing that we often see is people forget about what their wins are. And because they happen to them, it's just one of the things that goes on. You have that accomplishment, you move on. So like for that lady, she probably just in a lot of ways, just didn't remember the whole impact of it, of what that had happened and what had happened with that bill. It was extraordinary. When she told me the story, I almost died. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is the best story I've heard this week. I mean, come on. In this section is a great place to put stories in, like thinking about like, what's your best success story over the last year? It's a great place to have it here. You can say, and here's the big things we're working on today. In fact, let me tell you this story, my favorite story of the last year. Or you can say, let me tell you one story that just really encapsulates the work we're doing here. You know, and one thing I will say, and, and my observation, it's not a fact, it's just something I've observed, is men are fairly quick to take credit for big things, and women are less so to take credit for big things. So I think particularly if you're a woman and you're putting together your pitch, it's not bragging, it's being proud of an accomplishment in a, in a more aggressive way. I don't know if that's my just been my experience or there's a difference. Maybe you've seen that as well. But I think it's really important that women lean. Maybe it's just a male thing. I mean, with two guys talking right now. I just really, to me, it's so powerful when, when women pull that stuff together and, and say it. It's just the, the whole vibe for me. Some of the most powerful things I've heard have been from these courageous stories that were told later on and didn't come out the first time. So that's just one observation I was having. If you or even if you're an introvert, be prepared to brag or to own something or to be proud of something. It's definitely worth the effort. Right. Well, it's that, I think, tendency where men tend to be a very overconfident with stuff. Like they have these studies that show that men will apply for a job that they're 20% qualified but women will sometimes want to be like 60 or 70% qualified. So what we do find is people, they don't take enough credit for all of their accomplishments. And really just, you're not bragging, you're telling about the good work you're doing to someone who's financially invested in your organization. So it's not bragging, it's just really telling in the most compelling way, the exciting work you're doing. You know, and I would also say for younger folks that are listening to this, a lot of times they lack this confidence or this experience. All I would say to you is a lot of time the donors and the people you're pitching to are older. They're probably mid, late 50s, early 60s. I'm one of those people. I have tremendous sense of contentment when I see a young person 
getting in the game and fighting for something that they care about at 27 years old or 26 years old. So maybe your perspective is I'm new, I'm younger, there's an older person. I would only caution you that I'm sitting here thinking, thank God there are people in this generation that actually care because I thought all they did was play on their iPhone and drink Starbucks coffee. Never underestimate what the older person is thinking because most of us believe in America and believe in the future and believe in young people. I have kids. That's the other thing I've noticed is that sometimes they're a little bit more timid just based on their age. You shouldn't be. For me, it's like hope. I'm more invested in it. Right. And that's such an important point because it's just a mindset. Like you're thinking that you're young. You're thinking that means you're not qualified. But for them, they already are bought into the mission of your organization. And then it's really cool to see a young person working in this, like helping further it. And a lot of times, like they see themselves a lot of times in young people. It's a long-term investment. You see someone 27, 28, I'm thinking I'm 58. They got 30 years to even get to me. That's a great investment. 30 year run that they could be having. So I, I get excited about it. I actually went to one. They had four young women get up and each present a different thing. I brought my checkbook. I wasn't, I, this is a brand new event. And each of these young women, college students were working on a different area that they got up. And, you know, my wife and I were at this event and we're like, oh my gosh, this is just so heartwarming, magnificent. I mean, really, it just really, I mean, we wrote a big check. We're new donors to this organization solely based on these four 20-something-year-old, 22, 21-year-old women who were committed to this cause. And it was, it was awesome. So I just say that. You got to think in the mind of a donor sometimes. Right. And what you think is a liability is actually probably an asset in a lot of ways. So they've looked back. They've looked down. Let's talk about moving forward and the whole look forward section of the pitch. And this is where you lay out the case for what you're going to do over the next 12, 18 months, two years, whatever makes sense for your organization. So in this section, you want to lay out like a clear plan of where you're going. So a lot of times that's like over the next year, we have two big things we're trying to accomplish and you list them out or three big things and you want to tell them in a really clear way. Think of this as being really high level, not super detailed. So this is where you talk about like there's three big projects we're working on this year to accomplish our mission and you list them off quickly, tell a little bit of interesting information about them. And then you talk about what the future would look like if you're successful. And then you close out this section by asking for a donation. But this is one of the areas like for me, this is one of my favorite parts of the pitch because it's thinking about the future and then figuring out the best way to take the vision of what you want to do, and tell it in a compelling way. Roy, what are a couple of the things you see with pitches that really do this well? What have you noticed they do versus the pitches where they're kind of struggling to explain what they're going to do over the next 12 to 18 months? Yeah, there's two fundamental things that folks should think about when they're in this section is, one, don't be dark. Like, don't remind me one more time of how bad things are or how difficult it is. You and I hear this all the time. They're talking. I'm thinking, okay, you should run and you should quit your job right now and get the heck out of wherever you are because this sounds awful. I mean, <laughs> right. what would you say? 20% of the pitches will hear that sort of darkness? Yeah, on the first draft. On the first 30%. draft, the 30. Yep. So I would encourage you to see the light. Get out of your dark space, no matter how bad things are. I Hopefully, you're doing this because you see the light. You see there is some light, and you're going for that light. That's one. The other one is, don't tell me you're going to build me a yacht when really all you can really do is a canoe. That's one thing that we see. Don't overpromise by saying there was a group in California that said, and we're going to do this statewide blah, blah, right away. Uh, no. You're not going to do anything statewide in California. That's not going to happen. It's too big, too much. That right away, I'm doubting everything you're saying versus someone in, from Nevada came in and said, we're going to focus on one city, one group, and we're going to make this our pilot project, and then we're going to bring it to Las Vegas, and then we're going to bring it to Carson City. So they had a plan in their mind. We're going to build this out, do a proof of concept, and then run it statewide. I was all in as soon as I said that, right? I believe that. Like they were creating a future that was sort of one step at a time and they were building a long-term future, not this Hail Mary pass. It's just not gonna get caught. It's not. I know it's not. You know they know it's not. So I think it's important to keep scope in mind and be realistic. 
Right. And that's the whole like where people think sometimes with a big vision, it has to be like wildly big. That's like almost unbelievable versus your big vision needs to like push and stretch your organization, but it needs to be realistic of what can be accomplished. Like if you're a $250,000 nonprofit pitching a $25 million visions, probably not going to happen immediately. Might happen over five years or could happen over 10 years, but that scale that quickly is not going to happen and not be believable. That's absolutely right. It, it, it would be like this. It'd be like playing a football game where you get one down. I believe that you're going to need several attempts as you move the ball down the field. I just know that instinctively in anything, honestly, it doesn't matter if it's politics or life or raising kids or making dinner, it's incremental. And so I just think it's really important that you understand the importance of moving things down the field and not trying to get the 100-yard pass and have one chance at it. It's not going to happen. Right. And for donors, like if they're entrepreneurs, if they built businesses, they didn't build their business by one Hail Mary. It was a usually an iterative process where they tried something, it was right, it worked a little bit, then it stopped working, they fixed it, they kept iterating and moving on. So they're going to expect you to be doing the same thing. That's exactly right. Or, or Trevor, more specifically, there's a 99% chance the person you're sitting in front of had to put their payroll on their credit card or failed. This is just a very excellent chance that an entrepreneur failed many times or couldn't make payroll. So understand that who you're sitting in front of, because they know, they understand how it works. So to that point, what about looking forward and looking at the future? When you're painting that picture, you talked about it being a little dark sometimes, which we definitely see. And what's funny about that is once you point it out to the person who's doing the pitch, they see it usually immediately like, oh yeah, no, I'm not I don't think this is bad. Like I wouldn't work here if I did. So it's just really thinking about how you're framing it and how you're positioning the problem and then presenting it in the light of we can get this thing done. Yes, you're being realistic about what's happening today, but you also are optimistic about that you can change things and you can make the future different from the way it would be if your organization didn't exist. That's exactly right. That That's the formula. This is also the chance, maybe not at the 30, but more at the 60, to engage the donor that's in front of you and to pause for a minute and say, doesn't that make sense? Or just begin to engage them to get them along. Because at this point, the train is leaving the tracks and your goal is to get them on the train, right? Here's our future, choo-choo, here we go, get on board. So I think this notion of momentum, excitement, possibility, I mean, those are all the things that should be in the back of your mind, right? Like, I'm excited, the momentum, the possibility, the other folks that are coming around us and joining in. It's just, just this notion of you're building this ground swell and what's possible just lays in front of you. It's a very optimistic and sort of almost religious in terms of the, the belief and the commitment to gathering all of those pieces. So it's tough to get there scribbling down on a piece of paper. And that's why it takes a few times to understand what you're really trying to do. When you do it in a compelling way, it really resonates with people. I was just talking to this oncologist and he has a nonprofit foundation and they're looking to build a hospital in Nepal. And I don't know much about the country. I've never really been that interested in it, not for any other reason than I just don't know that much about it. But hearing him lay out their big vision for opening this really large hospital, they've done a pilot, you get excited. And something like I hadn't heard about beforehand, I was like, oh, well, that's a really interesting thing. And you want to find out more and you want to be part of it because it's exciting to be doing something where you're changing the future. Yeah. Or, I mean, remember the one, the orphanages in Haiti or the folks that were sort of teaching women entrepreneurs business in India and Pakistan. I mean, you and I get to hear some of the most amazing stories ever. And so maybe that's why we're so passionate about, I hate to say it's religious, but it's just this, this core sense of hope and greatness and, you know, all of these things. I guess we hear them so many times that we believe that anybody can do it. It's possible because we hear it all the time. There's just a great way to communicate great things. Right. And for the donors, most of the time they've done big things, they've changed the future, changed it with their business, with their investing and all these things. So you're echoing what they already believe and what they have seen to be true in their own life by painting this optimistic view of the future that's based in reality, but talked about in a very positive way of how you're going to change it. 
I would just add, Trevor, and we didn't talk about the second section, but this you can also bring it up in this section, is if you want to slide in a quick, we did this and it didn't work and we learned from our mistake, that's not dark. That's good business practice. That's good management. Even though we're saying hope and momentum and either in the second section or the final section, it is important to say, we had tried this, it didn't work, but we found out this worked instead. That kind of thing. Because entrepreneurs love that you have learned from your mistakes because that they have clearly learned from their mistakes over the years. So that's one other thing you want to think of in the back of your mind, even section two or three. Right. Yeah. Cause you could say that when you're saying, here's what we're working on today. It hasn't all been successful. In fact, we had a big failure with this project, but here's what we learned. And it's actually set us up in a position to do, you know, X, Y, Z better or something like that. Well, and what the message it sends to donors is, okay, they're not going to, be a black hole organization to throw good money after bad. They have a feedback loop, right, in place that lets them learn from mistakes and improve and adapt and change. That's a real comforting feeling to convey to a donor. It just, you look at six and seven figure donors. If you don't have that, if you've not communicated that, you're not going to be as successful. That's just instinctively for them. They, that's an instinct. Right. And they know it's not all good. If you have 10 projects, two or five are going to go poorly. If you're just presenting only the positive, I mean, you're not fooling them necessarily. They know there's stuff that's not in there. So by just being upfront, doesn't mean you need to tell all your problems, but being specific about, hey, we did this, we tried this, it didn't work, but this is what we're doing now. And this is how it informed us to do things better. Right. And the good thing here is you get through these things that we discussed, these three points, you're probably past 30%, to be honest, most folks with a baseline. So literally just this quick conversation we had, take the time to fill in the pieces, write it down. You're more than a third of the way home. Right. And then the final part, just to make sure we don't miss this part, is when you actually ask for the money. So you don't want to miss that part of your pitch because that's kind of the whole point of this. But when you ask for money, you just transition from how the future is going to look like to painting that optimistic story. And then you go in and ask them to partner with you. And either if they're renewing, ask them for a specific amount because you know they're giving history and how much they've supported you. Or if they're a new donor, you can give them a range to give and talk about our organization is funded by 50 key supporters who give between $5,000 and $100,000. To do this big mission, we need another 10 donors. Will you be one of them? or something like that, where you close it out and then you stop talking after you ask for money. And which is hard for people, really hard, right? To stop talking after. So basically the end of the pitch is, we're so excited. I can't thank you enough for your time. We really want you to be a partner with us for $20,000 to make this happen. Silence. It's, it's awkward, hard. right? It is. It's awkward. It's hard. And a lot of times when we're doing the pitch coaching, we'll be silent for a little bit just to get them used to it. Right. And honestly, like a 10 second silence seems like a lifetime. But when you're trying this out, when you're practicing, practice the silence just so you're getting used to feeling comfortable just waiting for the other person to respond. So let's talk about the 60%. We've probably a little past the 30% mark as we've talked through doing an outline, getting that rough first draft. But one of the things you mentioned this uh, at the beginning of the show, one of the things that's really important is writing down your pitch. And if you do a bullet point outline when you first start, you want to go through and write it out. But one of the things that's really hard for us to do is because most people who work in nonprofits are pretty good writers because they have a some sort of background in like research or they've done a lot of work, uh, gone to college and these things. So they're good technical writers, but it's really hard to write how we speak. So one of the tricks or hacks we've found that works really well is once you have the bullet points down is dictating the first draft of your pitch. So if you have a Mac, if you're using one of those, you can do this really easily. You open a Word doc or a Google doc, and then you hit the function button twice, and then that starts the dictation software on your Mac. And they have similar software if you have a PC where you can just start, and then you can just talk through those bullet points. And actually on the PC, what I have, you just open up Word and there's a dictate button, the furthest one on the right. Just click it. It's a microphone. That's it. Even easier. And you just do that, and then you just talk through the bullets, and it makes it so much easier because it's in your natural conversational voice. So you might not be using 
words that you would use in a written form, but not actually speak. It is so difficult to write how you speak. It's a skill. It's what speechwriters get paid a lot of money for doing. So I love this tip. I think it's a great hack on how to get things forward. One of the things I would recommend, though, is just get a paragraph out and just do that same paragraph a couple of times. I wouldn't just the first time out, hey, dictate and try to do a whole pitch or I would just get used to speaking into the microphone. It's really tough at first because it's sort of this cognitive dissonance, right? You're used to writing speeches and pitches and now you're just talking and you realize how dramatically different it is when you're speaking. All the buzzwords disappear. The jargon disappears. You don't say something like, hey, let's unpack this. You know, that just doesn't happen. So I I think it's a great way to start. Even if you just do it one paragraph, do that same paragraph a couple of times and get used to the flow of dictation. Right. And that's a good point. Like you don't need it to look like a written document. It can have short sentences. It can have long sentences. It can have fragments. It's not to make your grammar teacher happy. It's to have a compelling pitch written in a way that you talk so you can practice it and develop it into something that's like core to you and really resonates with you. The other important part of the pitch, which we've alluded to a little bit, is when you have it written down, that's when you can move from that 60% to the 90% because you can start tweaking and polishing different parts of it. Because there might be a part where you're stumbling and it just doesn't really work or it feels disjointed. And a lot of times that's because it's written in a way that you don't actually normally talk. So if you keep forgetting a line or keep stumbling on a line, it's probably just not the natural way you say something. So instead of beating yourself up about it, just try saying it the way you would talking to someone over a cup of coffee and then write down exactly how that was. Yeah. And I think just to emphasize one more point on the writing it down, I think there's a number of folks, especially if you've been in the business a while, and I include myself, where you don't think you need to write it down. You're that good. You're not. You're just not. I'm not. I've done this for 30 years. I'm always better when I have prepared remarks in front of me. Now, what I'm really good at is if I have all my prepared remarks, I can move paragraphs and move things and drop stuff. Like I can on the fly take an eight minute speech and cut it into two minutes. Because it's written down. I could not do that if it were not written down. So I can look at things and skip over stuff as I'm going. I do this. I do a lot of testimony in front of legislatures. And when I have it all written down, I find that I can do one minute to eight minutes. Doesn't matter. I've got it all written. So I can pull in and I don't get lost. I always get interrupted. I get asked questions. Once you free yourself of this notion where I'm so smart, I can wing it, you're really going to be much better at your job. You just are. And the beauty of it is you can use this over and over. You have paragraphs you can pull in and pull out. You can do an elevator pitch. You can do all these things you can do with that six or seven minute core pitch can be used in 20 different ways. So that alone should make it worth the while. That's a great point. And the whole idea of it's you know it so well that you can move the parts around. It's not like when you go and give these committee testimonies, you're reading from your pitch. Like you have it memorized to a point where you can maybe look down if you lose your place or lose your train of thought, but it is memorized. Let me give you an example. I was in Kansas testifying. I got up. There was a number of testimonies. Because of the volume of folks we have here today, we would appreciate if you would limit your remarks to three minutes. Wow. Not a problem. I knew what my best three minutes were. You instinctively know, here's the core of my pitch I'm about to make. I got right to it. Right. And that sometimes happens with a donor meeting. Like their last meeting runs late and you have 10 minutes or you have five minutes. You thought you were going to have 30. You thought it was going to be an hour and you have 15. So being able to adapt on the fly is really important. This just happened to me in North Carolina, actually. I was sitting with a legislator going through this whole pitch of all these things you want to do. I start off on this one issue. She goes, that's done. We agree 100%. Skip that. What do you got next? (laughs) (laughs) Which is so great because I'm like, you know what? I know exactly. I have five paragraphs, five points. I know exactly how to get to paragraph number two like that. And I didn't even, I said, well, that's great news. And I just started talking about the next thing in my pitch. I didn't care. Where if you just had that a little memorized or like you just kind of thought about it in some bullets, that would really throw you off versus I know this, I have this down pretty cold and I can just pull another chunk out. There were five things I had memorized to a T written down. 
I didn't care what order they were in, what they were in. But I mean, I couldn't believe literally I started into my whole thing on this one issue. No, 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 no. I totally agree with you. That's done. I don't even need to hear about that. What's your next thing you got for me? It was just such a great thing. I, I totally appreciate it. First of all, I won, which is great. I need to win five things. I got one right out of the gate. So I was actually more enthused and I could just go right on to number two. No problem. Well, and it's one of these things we talk about too, when people struggle with reading it is it's because they're just not comfortable. So if you can do it enough so you actually re- can recall it, it makes it so much easier to make edits on the fly. Not to make this about me, but I think I sent you the pitch I just did. I was sitting in North Carolina in this meeting and they walked in. They said, hey, we got an eight minute segment we'd like to fill in our radio program on X. Could you do that? So I'm in another meeting. He's in the next room with their radio show. I walk in there, sit down, and I sent it to you. I just delivered my eight-minute speech. I literally I have four big points. I had them all together. I threw in my money lines. I just had it all done. I just delivered my – literally was eight minutes and just walked out. Really, the power of having a pitch is it's not just for the donor, but you can use it in a whole variety of things. You can use it if you're doing a radio interview. Use it if you're doing a talk. If you're doing anything, really, you can pull and get snippets of it. Once you've polished it and figured out the most compelling ways and the best ways to talk about your organization and what you're going to do. You know, this one pitch, Trevor, I've used in a debate, a radio interview, legislative testimony in three states and four caucus briefings. The same thing. And you think about if you tried to do all of those from scratch, you would spend like 50 hours working on it versus... I figured out the most compelling way to say this information that gets people excited. And the other thing is you create this vibe, right? There is no question. I know my stuff. Even if you disagree with me, they think, well, he knows his stuff. You know what I mean? So there's the benefit of the confidence and the delivery. And just when you get in there, people are like, oh, this guy owns the room. It's his thing. I may not agree with him because I'm usually in more hostile situations than donor meetings. So. <laughs> so let's talk about you mentioned a couple minutes ago the money line. Let's talk about getting to that 90%, the polishing, and tell us what a money line is and then how to incorporate it into your pitch. You know, a great way to think about it is, I know people don't read the newspaper that often, but if you look at your newspaper, you'll see the pull quote. There'll be this long story, which you are not going to read, but you will read the pull quote, right? Well, that's kind of how you should think of, of your pitch. So as you're going through to something, if you said something a different way, would it really grab people? And I always say this sort of getting to amen. If, if a head is going up and down, you know you've won, right? You know you won. So I, I try to get to that, get, somehow you need to get to amen. You know, I've given you that one example of a candidate I was working with who said he wanted to limit government spending to the consumer price index plus the population and blah, blah. He would go on and on and everyone was nodding off and we decided that he could probably say it a little bit differently. So we came up with, hey, look, if you elect me, spending's never going to go faster than your paycheck. That's a good line. It's real. It's a paycheck. You connect to people. I don't know what the CPI is at the time. No one in the room knew, you know, this consumer price index. So, But it's just this notion of getting to people in an everyday way. You know, who's like Newt Gingrich has always been good about the, coming up with some of those money lines. There's a few really good people out there. That and how to identify Bill Clinton could get to the money lines. You know, there's a lot of politicians who do it really well. Whether you agree with them or not, what they say is very memorable. Right. And it's a line that's just sticky. It kind of summarizes the large, either your whole vision or what you're trying to accomplish or a section of it. And it's told in a way that just resonates with your audience. It just drives it home. I think it's the book Made to Stick. It's really just – it's a short little book. It's a great thing for someone to read actually who's in the in, in the development business anyway. It's – what is it? 80 pages? It's not that long. I think it's longer than that. But it's uh, Dan and Chip Heath's Made to Stick. Yeah, Made to Stick. It's great. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I've had pieces of it and I think that's a, sort of a good way to go. But But the essence of the money line is if you're sitting around the table and you say something and people shaking their heads up and down thinking, amen, that's right. That's what you want to go for. Now, those are hard to come by, but you can get one or two. You can do it. And no matter what you're talking about, you can always find one or two. And it's worth doing it. And as you're polishing your pitch, you can say, wow, like I could really use something here. And you can kind of work one in if there's an area that's flat in your pitch. Or if you have a line that's like, okay, you can just spend some time thinking about like if I 
flip this sentence around? Would it be more memorable? If I had a better analogy here, would it make it more memorable? I always ask people when I do the pitch coaching, what is your favorite one or two lines in all of your remarks? Now, it's not that they're delivered well or they're developed. When you talk in there, what are you most proud of or happy about or feel great about? Now, they're not money lines, but they're emotionally charged so they can become a money line, right? The key to a money line is there's this, you have this passion for it to begin with. So that's the thing is, are there one or two things in this speech that you love? Focus just on those and turn those feelings and proud into the money line. That simple. Right. And you say this a lot with people when you're coaching them is if you have a line like that, that you love, that you know is landing well, enjoy the line. Oh my gosh. Nothing makes me more frustrated when someone's coming to the 90% level, when they say something that is so awesome. I'm like listening to them like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And they go right on to the next sentence. They don't even enjoy like, I'm like they're like these robots reading out this thing. I'm, and so I always say to folks, we talk about having highlighters, right? I would say, take the yellow highlighter and anything that you enjoy that you're personally proud of, put it in yellow and write the word enjoy and look up and smile at the donor. Let her know or let him know that you are damn proud of this moment right here and you want them to enjoy it as much as you are. It's very, very effective. Right. And they're enjoying the moment too. So you're giving them a break, a little just pause. It's not like you're doing 10 seconds. It's just for one or two seconds, just letting them process that and enjoy the line. The problem with not doing that, when you get to, the, when you're getting to the 90% level, you're getting nuclear at this point. If you don't stop and let people enjoy those moments, they're not listening. They are processing that really cool thing you just said. You're still talking. They're not with you. So they're going to miss the next two sentences. So that's why it's important to do the enjoy moment. I even like when folks say something that's just really incredible that they've done and they're enjoying that moment. It's just, it's just so great, isn't it? Or we're just so proud of that. Just say something like that. Like give it a nice bracket, if you will, of the moment and then move on. And you can say, but there's even more. Part of this is, and we talk about this, you are acting. I know that's hard for people to hear, but this is a show and you are putting on a performance. Right. And what makes it difficult, too, is it's something that's spoken to people. So they're following along, listening to every word you're saying. So if you don't have these pauses or these breaks on when you have a compelling point or you have that money line or a line you enjoy, you're not giving them time to catch up. So it's really hard. You think about like when you listen to the radio and you listen to something that's really compelling, like NPR has some great shows with like This American Life. Like you can tell they put pauses in to allow you to process the information so the story flows well while you're listening. And it's the same way when you're speaking through a pitch. Listen, there's a thousand things. I, I don't have it in front of me. One of the guys, I just really enjoy his presentations on PowerPoint and giving speeches. And I told you that he's the, this thing. There's like this, all these little things, like a hundred or more things that you can do in a speech that makes great speakers. Some of them that stuck out with me is just by slowing down can make a huge difference. <laughs> like he does these things or by leaning forward a little bit more or if you talk just a little bit quieter. Like he does all these great things. So, and it sort of gets this whole notion of the performance of it all, but we should find that. Maybe you can put it on. Yeah, we can put it in the show notes. It's a TED Talk. It's a TED Talk. He's a, a Swede. It's terrific. I sent it to you. You watched it. It really is just this notion of leaning forward, whispering, slowing down, making a point, like in beginning to learn how to present the information. Now, I say all that. Don't do that until you have the best content ever. That's one of my pet peeves. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for a performer that actually has no lines. I need to know the lines are there first. So I just say that as a cautionary tale. That's a good segue into the 90% part. Like this is where you're practicing your pitch, you have it down. There might be one or two spots that still need some improvement, need some help, but most of it is really good. And this is where you're doing the polishing. You're figuring out, here's the line I'm going to slow down on. Here's the line I'm going to speed up maybe, or be more excited when I'm talking about it and really figuring out where are the parts where I might want to lift the emotions going through the pitch. Or some show and tell, right? Don't forget. I mean, this is, if you're talking about 
orphanages in Haiti, show me some kids that you're saving or show me the facility that you're building or put a picture in front of me, like anchor me. You know what I mean? Just get me there with that stuff. Right. And one thing we see some people do that's really compelling where you have some sort of physical anchor just to draw the donor's attention and to highlight something specific is when you have a picture or some contrast of the two things you're doing and you're explaining something, pointing to those things like multiple times really drives home the work. A lot of organizations do like two or three really big things. If they have like a photo or something representing that, they can kind of point to it as they're talking about the different parts in the pitch. And it just helps both have the auditory, you're hearing it, but then visually you're seeing the connection and it just helps it stick with the donor more. Maps of your reach, photos of the people you're helping. Occasionally, I would say less than 50% success rate, in my opinion, a quick little video on your phone. That's tough. Caution people to run to provide videos, but it can work. I've seen it work. I've seen it not work more, but there's a number of things that you can do to sort of illustrate. I don't know if this is the best spot, but I want to make sure that we don't forget this. And it's the 60 to the 90 is going through with a highlighter. Once again, sort of highlighter magic here and making sure that you have lost the jargon, either the jargon of your industry that you're in, right? Whether it's government or healthcare or your movement. Try to go through and say, gee, this is jargon. And then just everyday jargon that I'm hearing, like move the needle, leverage, drill down, take something offline, 110%. Let's get on the same page. Low-hanging fruit, unpack, drives me crazy for some reason. There's a lot of really crappy words out there that folks are using in their pitches. Just go through that. And just, I, I find if you just read it out loud, I work with one person. He gives me his 30% pitch and then I read it certain paragraphs out loud and he's literally cringing in his chair. He can, he goes, I can't believe I wrote that. Like he never read it out loud. He just wrote it. And then I read it out loud back to him. And he's mortified. The sooner you can get rid of those, I think it's easier to do it from the 60 to 90, honestly, because this is about substituting words. Instead of saying unpack, let's talk about, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's all kinds of normal language you can use. It's not drill down. Let's take a closer look here for a minute. That, that kind of language to get rid of all that. So that's just one of my pet peeves. It's, I find it, it's almost like the chalkboard scraping with the fingernails for me when I hear some of those words, I can't even get out of my own way. And a good way to like try it out is just say, like, would I say this to someone I was having a cup of coffee with, having a beer? Would I ever use that word? If the answer is no, don't have it in your pitch. Unless it's a very technical thing and it's really important to be specific about it for some reason. The other thing is because we work in our sector of the industry or our nonprofit sector, it's really easy not even to remember what your jargon is. So if you give your pitch and just hand it to like a spouse or a friend or you know someone like that, then have them go through it after you have gone through it and they'll point out another 15 or so of these just buzzwords that you're used to saying because they mean a lot in your industry, but won't mean a lot to other people. Nope, that's exactly right. And it's pretty easy to do. And once you do it, you'll start to laugh at yourself. Imagine like you and your wife are going to go out to dinner and you say, hey, why don't we drill down what the plan is going to be tonight? I mean, just see the language that you use. Hey, why don't we unpack what we're going to talk about when we meet our friends? It's crazy. Maybe that's how consultants speak, though. I could be. It could be. Yeah. Well, just to wrap the things up, what are some final things people should be doing at this 90% mark just to really hone in and get their pitch ready for the first time they're giving it to a donor? Well, I think the best advice I heard came from Taryn Bragdon, who you know, and it may be, maybe you're the one that made him do this, but it's the, for every minute of your speech is a couple of hours of practice which is extraordinary, even more, honestly, for some of his bigger, bigger commitments. So if you have an eight minute speech, you should be looking at 16 to 20 hours of practicing the 90% speech. That's a lot of practice. I think the pitch that I do around the one issue I talk about probably worked and reworked it and then have given it so many times, 30 plus hours of delivering it and honing it and working it so I'm completely comfortable with it now. So that'd be the, the one point is, here's the best way to describe it. You know, when you see someone, you're like, wow, that person's amazing. They're just so naturally talented. That's not true. They literally practice. What is your, what is your thing about it? Was it uh, Serena Williams? Right. She says, has this lied about 
someone asked her, how'd you get good at tennis? She said, well, I played a lot of tennis. Exactly. No one is great naturally. People are great. The difference between really good or very good and great is commitment and practice. It really is. So I think that's the most important thing you should remember is that people who are delivering at this level do it because they've practiced and they did a lot. Right. And one way you can do to really have a good feedback loop and really improve quickly is videoing yourself while you're practicing it. And there's a couple of ways of doing it. You can have like a friend video you like just with something simple like your iPhone or an iPad and go through your pitch and then rewatch it. It's painful for everyone to rewatch it. Everyone finds it painful to watch themselves on video. So just do it. It's really helpful. I find it painful to listen to myself on this podcast when I you know, listen to the episodes, but it's really helpful for improving. You notice all these weird ticks you have. People tell me I look like a professional wrestler or a hockey player. I'm like, I have all my teeth. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> you do kind of have that look now, though, you know? Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's my look I'm going for now. <laughs> right, exactly. And just to recap, just put yourself on video, watch it, do it again, improve, and you'll be amazed how quickly you go through and just improve and you just get that quick feedback loop of getting better each time. It'll be painful, but you'll get quicker so much faster. So to wrap things up, Roy, what's one thing you would recommend people do after listening to this podcast? What's a way they can take action today? You know, one thing I'd love to do is to take your advice, which is go to your Mac and do the whatever you have to do to dictate or go into Word and hit the dictate button. Do a paragraph of your organization today. Just get on there and speak that paragraph. Like, testify in front of your computer and get that one paragraph out there just to see what it feels like to do it. Like think about what you want to talk about. Take just a second, take literally five minutes, hit the record button and deliver it and then read it back. That's what I would do. That's a great first step. And it gives you a chance to see is what I'm saying today compelling? Is it something that would get donors to give? when you're describing your organization. And if the answer is no, which it is for most of us, so the first time we try something, just improve it. Yep, and then get into the 30% mode of the look back, look down, look forward, and get going. But I would like to see everybody just do the quick record, do it, give a spiel, just so you understand the difference between giving a pitch and writing something down for an op-ed. They're not the same thing. Exactly. Well, where can people find out more about you, Roy? I think they could just call you and ask. You probably know me better than anybody else in America right now. I don't know. I like to think I'm pretty stealthy. Strategicadvocacy.com is my company, and they can always send me an email at Roy at strategicadvocacy.com, and I'm more than happy to give anybody some free advice. Perfect. And if you'd like to get pitch training, come to one of our trainings. Roy's always there, one of our pitch coaches. And well, I promise you, you will never be the same. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in a good way, right. All right. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show, Roy. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Seven Figure Fundraising and our training, visit sevenfigurefundraising.com. Finally, if there's one person you know would benefit from hearing this episode, please take a minute and share it with them. Thanks. Thanks.